Welcome to Family Addiction Coaching, a podcast about families supporting a loved one with addiction. Each episode will provide insight into a real family's experience, what families find useful and not, what is available in the community, and what would help make their journey easier. Similar to what happens in our coaching service, we'll discuss how families have encouraged their loved one into recovery as well as their own family recovery. We'll also discuss harm reduction, an especially useful approach for those with no current interest in recovery. I'm your host, Patrick Doyle of Family Addiction Coaching. With a master's degree in social work, I'm licensed by the state of Massachusetts and comply with the strict code of ethics of the National Association of Social Workers. My sincere thanks and deepest appreciation to the guests of this episode of Family Addiction Coaching Podcast. In order to protect the privacy of everyone involved, we are not using their real names. Joe and Lynn are a married couple who have used my coaching services, which allows you to get their experience and to get a deep understanding of the ways that families can benefit. Lynn was the driving force who was able to get a large extended family group together in supporting their loved one, who is Joe's sister, named Jennifer, a woman aged 50 years old who started developing concerns about her alcohol use. Once again, I want to thank you so much for disclosing your journey and sharing with us how things have gone for you over the past few months. Thanks so much for uh, agreeing to be here. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Now, for most families who request coaching, there has been a serious incident telling them that there's a big problem. Can you give us a brief summary of your loved one's pattern of substance use and the types of problems that develop? I think it's helpful to understand maybe a little bit about our family history, and I'll I'll try to keep it brief here. Um, We come from a family where I would say it's a six-pack Joe type of experience where you know, drinking a six pack on a Monday night um, after a hard day of work is, is pretty common. And at, at family events, alcohol was always a big part of our social elements to every holiday gathering that we had together. So to the extent that my sister's drinking to us didn't necessarily seem out of hand. I'd say starting about two years ago, there were a couple episodes where she'd get very drunk in events or and you kind of dismiss it. And then about 18 months ago, she her husband started mentioning, me, Jennifer's starting to drink a lot. And he would say that occasionally. She's drinking a lot more than normal, but none of us really thought much of it uh, until it all came to a head early this year where uh, she started acting a little more erratic, was telling us she was going to file for a divorce. And then um, uh, we were together. One small alarm was we were together and we were hanging out during this whole divorce sequence and she said, boy, I could really use a drink. And so I gave her some wine that I would have at my house and didn't think much on it at the time. But now I th- you, you see the bigger pattern. And I don't I think that's one of the issues. We didn't recognize the pattern until it was very obvious to the family overall. It really occurred in a attempted suicide that really raised the alarm bells for all of us. And then from that, the series of events that we're going to get into happened from that starting point. So is. She hit it very well, and, and Jennifer is a very persuasive and talented, professionally successful woman. We just didn't see it. And that's often 
the way that it goes. I recall when we first made contact, Joe and Lynn, you both felt a very strong need to help Joe's sister, Jennifer. Uh, can you describe your reactions, thoughts and emotions, what it felt like and the impact the substance use problem had on you and your family? I mean, I guess we're both fortunate enough to never had to have dealt with addiction before. And so we just, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of personality that I'm a problem solver. And so this was just a new problem to solve. So I just, uh, you know, got online and started researching like crazy, listening to podcasts, looking for help, right? Like there must be some way to, to fix this, to help her. I think probably like my best education about this was from TV and movies. I mean, really, I, you know, it's yeah. a journey and, but really had no idea. I remember kind of the pattern of my husband's family is they're a bit conflict avoidant. And so this was something really difficult because one of, you know, their sister was in crisis, their daughter, and they had a really hard time just kind of dealing with that. And so there was a lot of avoidance by the the core family, the blood relatives. And so it was really myself and my other sister-in-law who's married to one of the brothers. She's kind of in the medical field and we just went to work. But I remember feeling just exhausted, just, just thirsty for information, just looking everywhere, spending hours, you know, feeling like I can help and this family needs the help because my husband, his brothers, certainly my sister-in-law, who we saw was in really in, in crisis, and my in-laws just were not capable. We're not capable of leaning into that that work. And I think I don't know. I would say, you know, Joe, that you were dealing with your own, you know, feelings about it, and so I think that took up all of your <laughs> extra energy and and time of just trying to handle what was happening with your sister. Yeah. I mean, the second there, I would say that I, I felt paralyzed in some ways, not knowing where to go, frustrated with the healthcare system in the United States around the lack of information and help that we were getting when she did first get admitted for this. And the, it was paralyzing to me versus, you know, Lynn, your experience, which was just to go all in on it. And it was obsessive and it, you know, it, put a lot of stress on you, put a lot of stress on me. And I know my sister-in-law, who was also heavily involved in it, and her husband, it greatly impacted them in their marriage, right? And it's, it's you know, it's it's a challenge and it, it puts stress on, you know, obviously on Jennifer, but and her husband and their two kids and but our whole extended family that were heavily involved and and also our, our kids, right? They were feeling the impact of this as well. So, you know, Patrick, I think one of the things you brought up to us at one time is that addiction impacts the entire family and it, it, and it hurts a lot of people. And that is something yeah. that we stuck with me that I'll never forget. It really, it truly is, you yeah. know, a whole global event for, for our family and it's, yeah. and it's recovery for all of us. That was new information for you at the time. It was a hundred percent new information to me. I didn't appreciate it. Did you find that the impact on you, once you realized that this was a serious problem, did you find that it impacted maybe how you could work, um, like your concentration, your sleep, your energy level, anything like that? 
I probably, you, you know, you said I was obsessive. I probably was obsessive. I mean, I work full time. We have three kids, you know, we're, we're busy people, but yes, every free moment I was, I mean, literally brushing my teeth, I'd be listening to a podcast about addiction. I mean, it, or divorce, oh, wow. you know, trying to help <laughs> with divorce. I luckily I'm a pretty good sleeper, but yes, I think it was, it was a very stressful time. It was very heavy. It put stress on us, it put individually and, and on our relationship, you know, where I was frustrated that the, some of the family members weren't leaning in more that, you know, my husband wasn't leaning in more. He, you know, was mad at, would get frustrated with me because I'm pushing him and, you know, like come to the, come like listen to this with me or come talk to, you know, my sister-in-law, we're going to talk about what's going on. And he could only handle that for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And we'd be talking literally, I mean, we would talk for two, three hours, you know, a couple times a week. That was very normal back then. So it was, it was all consuming for me. Yeah. I mean, Patrick, I think you can appreciate, I didn't necessarily need to stick on a call for three hours for (laughs) women going back and forth, trying to solve the world's problems. (laughs) That's how we process. But that's how, I mean, and that's, that's part of the learning process. I mean, I think this, it it absolutely impacted me and my job and I had to be pretty open with my, some of my coworkers and far as, you know, we're at a family, I just called it a family crisis and I, I uh-huh. and people were very understanding with that. I think my stress level, it, I mean, there's, we're in a COVID period too, but I, I don't necessarily know how much that would add to it. But I started developing a tick, a stress tick, um, uh-huh. that I didn't necessarily understand at the time until she started getting help, and finally, I, I, I lost the tick, right? But then, well, and, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. and high elements of stress again. If there's a, you know. And knock on wood, she doesn't, you know, her recovery goes well. But I, if we have a really hard conversation, I, it comes back and I have to be cognizant of it. I saw you doing yeah. it as we were starting this discussion. Yeah, I, I was, <laughs> so, oh, wow. Not to pull that hair off my face is <laughs> what I was doing. It is uh, a lovely, lovely experience. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been really rough. Definitely the hardest thing. And I think, Lynn, you would say the same, the hardest thing in our lives. Yeah. We hear so much about young people with substance use problems. We don't really hear much about 50-year-old women, successful professionals having an addiction problem, and then the impact that that puts on to their family and on the extended family. You won't see that on the after-school special or the movie of the week about addiction generally. And I think that's what made it all the more jarring for us. I mean, like you said, I mean, she's a beautiful, successful, you know, just beloved person within our family and in the community. And I still can't believe, you know, it's been eight, eight months now, I guess, since it all started. Some days I still wake up and I I can't believe what's happened with her life and how fast her life has spun out of control. And, you know, like Joe was saying, you realize you start to look back and you start to, you know, as we've been talking to her husband more and, and her more, you start to see like, oh, this has actually been something she's been struggling with for years. And, you know, not just the alcohol, but other things in her life. And she was holding it together somehow until she couldn't. It is really, it's shocking because you can't, you know, believe it. And it was just the beginning of 2020, everything was great. Great job, great family, great kids, great, you know. So it just, it did 
like it came out of the blue because we just didn't see we didn't see it and she she covered it up really well yeah she did an amazing job covering up i mean the and i brought up the suicide attempt earlier and, and i feel like i should you know preface that a little bit why or at least that's my perception why my sister did that it was more of a cry for help at, at that point but in a very short period of time she started to lose her marriage she had racked up a significant amount of financial debt her relationships with her daughters she has two teenage daughters was in a troubled patch for her and i think she was just the mountain or the weight everything came upon her and and also the, the charade or the facade that she had that to the, the whole family that she, everything is great. She's got this ideal life and that's all, all fell apart. And so I think that really put her in a, eventually in a complete downward spiral. And there, there's a lot right. to that, but those are some of the bigger points that, that the alcoholism really just, you know, at age 50, it just you know, reaches a peak and you can tear a person down to the lowest level. After your initial free coaching session, can you describe Lynn, you were the one who drove this process. Can you describe how you decided to use my services initially and then the decision-making process of when we would have our next contact? Yes, I was driving the bus for a lot of it. Um, but it yeah, had a, had you were. Backup. Um, you know, you're the point person <laughs> and, you did, and you did a great job. People will hear during the rest of the episode you did an amazing job. You drove it. You were the driver. And yet you also had a lot of other very compassionate, empathic adults very much involved with you, too. It, it was such a team effort. I've never really witnessed anything quite like it before. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that there were a lot of people involved. You know, the, Joe comes from, there's four kids. Um, he's the youngest. His sister is the second oldest, and it's a close family. We we all live within forty minutes of each other, and you know we get together many times a year. We used to get together more when our kids were younger. So, and his sister lives next door to his parents. Right? It's it's a very close knit. Right. Family. Yeah. And so that's it was, close. Uh, yes. Uh, everybody loves Raymond close. Um, yeah. Right. Exactly. So it, it was. We felt. I don't think we had any other option but to try to get everyone aligned. You know, we actually, before we sought you out, my sister-in-law, you know, we were starting to get really worried about her behavior. Um, it was clear that she was drinking a lot. She was drinking and driving. She was, she went into a one-week detox and she came out of that and seemed really good for a couple of weeks. And then she just started to go downhill. And so we first met with an interventionist company and inter that didn't, you know, told us about how you do an intervention and what that would be like and what to expect. And I would say half of our group was worried enough about her that we said, yeah, let's do it. And um, the other half said, no, this isn't, this isn't the right thing. Um, you know, I mentioned it's a, a family that avoids conflict and has a hard time talking about difficult things. So an intervention is pretty much everyone's worst nightmare. Um, right. So, right. Um, you know, I think we decided we backed off from that. We said, okay, there's got to be other options besides doing an intervention. And so um, Allies in Recovery is one of the websites that I found that I really liked. And I liked, 
you know, the, the care approach of, um, you know, it was uh, more about supporting and encouraging, you know, positive behaviors and, um, you know, Mm -hmm. just encouraging when they're, they're doing things that are healthy. And, and so I found your name through that. And I think we did have that initial conversation. We were, we were looking at other, you know, therapists, addiction therapists, family therapists. We, we looked at a couple others and, um, just thought, you know, a couple of us that were driving the bus together thought, you were our best option because you really could help us guide through, you know, just all the different treatment options and, you know, just the, the course of this disease and, and what, you know, what we might see or, or um, all of the curveballs we knew that might be coming. Um, but it did take some time. And I think there were, there was disagreement among the group of us on kind of what should be done. And I think between the time that you and I first talked one, my brother-in-law really thought AA could help her and had found a sponsor for her and had done all this legwork for her, you know, in retrospect, that was not really, you know, there's a lot of stuff we all did that was really, you know, he was doing what he thought was best for her at the time. And so kind of pursuing that, you know, we were going down lots of different roads and I think when we came back to you, things had really gotten to a scary point where we, we literally were in fear for her life and we just kind of AA hadn't worked, you know, she went to one meeting and and that's it. So we really, I think everyone in the family at that point was like, okay, this cannot go on. We have to do something. We're all ready to come to the table and do whatever needs to be done to, you know, really help get her to safety. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recall you had done an incredible amount of research looking into all different types of options, which is great. It's, that's a good thing to do. And I think it took time for different family members to come to terms with, you know, they may need to have a push back on her or have difficult conversations that we didn't know how to have difficult conversations at that time. You know, it was, we were all on our own different kind of journey with this in our own recovery, as you've taught us, um, you know, in our own recovery of what's right for each of us. And so when you have nine adults on doing that, it, it took some time to align on that. And it took seeing right. very clearly that she was not going to be able to help herself out of it. And she was going to need our right. support to do that. Well, and, and, and yeah, nine adults is a lot. Nine, nine adults <laughs> is a lot. And, and uh, Patrick, I think, I think you may have mentioned it. I, I can't remember. That's all the people were talking, but I mean, the person with addiction is masterful at turning us against each other, yeah. putting doubt or seeding, planting a seed of doubt in someone's mind. So to take a drastic measure, all she really needed to do was convince one or one or two of us that then would talk on the side with someone else and convince someone else. So it was, it was a yeah. challenge and very frustrating because, you know, Lynn and I may have been very absolute about one direction, but, if, you know, trying to be collaborative in our family. If someone else had an opinion, we try to be respectful of that. And um, so it, it definitely uh, made the the journey a, a little bit longer, but I think still a part of the journey that we needed to take. 
It also illustrates the, the difference between parents having a 20-year-old child who, with an addiction problem versus when the person with the addiction is 50 years old. I mean, it, there's nobody who's really the boss of her, as opposed to, you know, if your 20-year-old child, you're kind of the boss of your 20-year-old child. It's not as clear-cut. I, I, I think that that had a lot to do with it. And as you mentioned, she was having marital difficulties I mean, that was a huge complication because her husband and her were starting to talk about divorce. And so there was a, you know, the husband would say, hey, I found, you know, a bunch of white claw in her car. And you would question, is he, you know, is that true? Is it not? She said she's not drinking, right? I mean, there were... Um, right. different feelings about how truthful her husband was or not. Um, and it just, you know, it, I mean, divorce is probably hard enough without right. having to deal with alcohol uh, addiction. And so it just, it made everything, I mean, it was just, yeah. there. Yeah. It, it took a lot to, for us, even for myself, it, although I would say Joe and I, you know, were earlier to see the real problem with her drinking, but even for us, I mean, it was like peeling back an onion. You're like, okay, this is a husband problem. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. There's, you know, a, an alcohol problem. And, and then we, we find out, you know, there was trauma, childhood trauma and, and family trauma. You know, it just, it kept, there was a lot to work through and a lot of um, trying to get to the truth and what was really happening. And she wanted none of us to see any of it. You know, I mean, she just... Um, did everything she could to try to to hide, um, and still does to some extent. Right, that's what addiction does to the person. It influences, it, it impairs their judgment, and it it's kind of it's kind of like a virus, and it takes over the body, and it takes over the mind, and it changes that person. At this point, your fifty year old sister was not the same woman that she was ten years ago. Oh, God. And it, it that's what it does. Yeah, it it changes behavior. You can hardly recognize the person. Totally. Well, I think the recognition part was once, yeah, once it got to a real point, like I said, we were kind of slow to recognize it. But once you saw it, like in when she was in the throes of the heavy drinking and the manipulation and the, you know, hiding, of, I mean, it was just, it just got, it got, it got, <laughs> unfathomable, just wild and crazy and um, shocking and scary. I think that might be the yeah. part of fear and scare, you know, that being fearful that you're going to lose um, a family member at a very young age. And it, it got, I mean, it got very, very real. And I feel like pretty darn close to that. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably been three to four near death experiences, not even count, you know, she could have, driven and hit a tree and killed herself or someone else at an, any day. But yeah, there were several. There were four. Yeah. Not ex really, not in, yeah, really the, scary. The drunk driving, That's that was a daily occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. And as I recall, you threw yourselves into the family coaching when she was in a uh, medical facility, an ICU, having fallen hit her head while she was extremely intoxicated and had to be brought by ambulance. And she was going through medically supervised withdrawal. I believe that was when you reached out to me again. It was probably a month after our initial consultation. That's when we worked very intensively. Yeah. 
you know, we that fall, we thought maybe that would be a wake-up call because she was in the ICU. She had bleeding on the brain. I mean, she was in the ICU for like right. four days. She came out and just started drinking that afternoon. And I think we just all lost it. You know, I think we, we just lost it in terms yeah. of like, oh my gosh, she's literally going to kill herself. We've got to do something. That weekend, you know, the latter half of that week into the weekend, I was actually at my sister's house. So I was out of town, but I, my poor sister, I mean, I, we must have spent 12 hours with you, Patrick. I don't know how long you spent. Um, I spent the whole weekend, you know, researching facilities. We were trying to look at options. I mean, it was, um, that was incredibly helpful to have you there to guide us through that. And just, you know, do we take away her keys while she has access to lots of different cars, you know, like what are just, what are the things we can do short-term? How could we possibly um, help her decide to go into treatment? And if she decides, doesn't decide to go into treatment, what are we going to do about it as a family? Um, Right. And there were some, you know, lots of group conversations, emergency family meetings. We had been meeting as a family uh, on a weekly basis for the couple weeks prior, but it was really a crisis point. So, um, you know, you asked me how, how we decided how often, you know, when and how often to meet. I feel like Jennifer decided for us in some respects. Um, We we met frequently when we were in those kinds of crisis moments. And also I think fortunately she did, you, you talked to her and by some miracle, um, she to go to treatment. And so you were then helpful in uh, helping us navigate just how to work with these treatment facilities, um, you know, what what we can expect, like, no, no, they should have followed up with you by now. You know, I mean, just, it's like entering a country and you have no idea how to speak the language. You have no idea where you should be going, what this should look like. And so you were our translator through all of that. The patient needs an advocate once they start getting treatment, and the family needs an advocate to interact with the treatment industry, with the treatment programs, the treatment providers. It's impossible to know what is a good quality treatment for the consumers. Asking me to talk with Jennifer directly a couple of times, it was interesting with Jennifer. She was totally uncooperative about most things. She was refusing rehabilitation treatment. And when she got medically stabilized, she was out. She was out of the ICU. She wasn't going to do anything further. She didn't have a problem. Everything was fine, right? In very big, major ways, she was very uncooperative, but in also significant ways, she was quite cooperative. I negotiated with her, well, okay, if if you find yourself drinking again, would you then agree to go into a residential rehabilitation program? And she immediately said, yes, that was the end of that discussion. And so I said, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Let's stay in close contact. And I mean, yeah, I'm I'm helping your family, but I want to be here for you, too. The very next day, she ended up calling me and she immediately said there was no small talk. She said, I want to go into residential and I want to go in now. Can you help us get a good program that I can go into today? She had all of a sudden done a 180 degree about face. I was um, I was surprised. I think we all were. She was. uh, Well, the walls were coming in on her. They were. I mean, that she so vehemently would say, no, no, you're not. And there's history behind that. I mean. 
but one element that might be interesting for her there are people listening to us like her husband would threaten her like you know you're acting crazy they're gonna put you away so i think this was you know giving into that like oh they're gonna lock me up she had fear she didn't know the she didn't know what was going on either much like us we had no idea uh, right what the treatment is for this it's just very challenging and it's it's i think patrick you brought up one point to us is like if she had cancer there would be a treatment plan everyone would be on board there would be a whole path laid out for you but with addiction that just doesn't occur and there's just a vacuum of information and so that's where you were extremely helpful in filling in a lot of those gaps because you know making the call on what to do with your older sister um is very difficult absolutely so we've discussed how it was a process for the different family members in this large extended family nine people you mentioned nine adults to um, eventually get on the same page and see the same urgency and the same need to form a unified front and expressing love and concern for jennifer with also a consistent message of jennifer we're so afraid that we're going to lose you today you really do need to take some time off and get this kind of professional help how can we help you with that? Yeah, I mean, just like in any family, everyone's relationship is different, you know, and Jennifer yeah. has three brothers and her relationship with each one is unique. And she's, you know, got a great relationship um, in many ways with her parents and a dysfunctional relationship as well, just like probably all of us do, right? Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, throw some, you know, some addiction in there and it really starts to strain and and show you the shortcomings of those relationships. But um, it really did, um, you know, there the childhood trauma that was uncovered in this process also, you know, that was a family secret. And so even, you know, Joe learned things about his family and his history that he did not know prior to this. And so there was a lot of, you know, people personally dealing with new information about the family, dealing yeah. with, you know, dealing differently with their sister. Some, you know, one brother was extremely protective of her and just is, is not someone that's going to really confront her. I, I don't think any of them are really, but it's just, um, I think much more wants to just make things nice for her and support her. And there were times when that's yeah. really great. And there's times when that isn't as helpful. And so um, right. I think everyone dealt with it as best they could. Everyone was hurting. It, it was tough at first and I was really frustrated. And, and there were, my sister <laughs> was also frustrated because we felt like we were doing the heavy lifting but over time, yeah. you know, and this, you helped us with this too, of I could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week on Jennifer's recovery. And it's not really going to help. You know, there are times in crisis when you do need to take action, right. but there's also um, a lot that I did that didn't help. I don't think I could have done it any other way for my own learning about this disease yeah. and my own recovery. But um, right. it was, very frustrating. I, I was frustrated with the family and it was very healing to start to see, you know, Joe, you know, start to step up to the plate and start to um, get more hands on in um, helping his sister. I mean, he, he has taken her to the hospital. He and I both many, many times seeing yeah. 
know, her parents, you know, from kind of being pretty avoidant and a little bit defensive to really, you know, saying, yes, whatever therapy is needed, we'll, we'll do the therapy, you know? Um, and so over yeah. time it has brought us closer. You know, I've been a member of this family for 25 years. Uh, we started dating in high school and I, I can say, wow. you know, this has been trial by fire for sure, but I've had more close conversations in the last 10 months than in the prior 24 years. And so it's not really how you want that to happen, but you know, it's just stuff got real, you know, like we're no longer just talking about football and, you know, planting in the garden. I mean, we're talking about life or death and it's that, that it's something that I think, you know, is special in its own way. Len may have thought, well, maybe the family is closer in ways, or maybe we're able to have more real conversations than we've had before. We're definitely not closer as a family. There's still a lot of strain. There's a lot of strain that the family's got to go through. And um, as the first time I saw my brother, one of my brothers yesterday in a very long time, I didn't spend much time with him. I didn't, didn't necessarily feel like an overt problem seeing him. But I found that I didn't want to, or I didn't spend much time with him yesterday. So, you know, there's it's it'll work its way out. But there's definitely a lot of trauma or issues we all have to work through. Yeah, yeah. There's anger and frustration, and I mean, people. Some of us, you know, people aren't pulling their weight, or you know, it's it's very complex. It's very complex. Yeah. It's, it's very complex. I think any little yeah. thing you would have, any problem you had with your child or your sibling as a, as a child, it, amplified. It, it'll be amplified if you question me on it. You know, we're growing right. and we're all in our 40s and 50s now and we're, and we're still reverting back to some behaviors when we we're children. But it's it's been just uh, it's been a journey. In some ways, I think yeah. you, you liked you liked when it was just all surface level. Whereas oh, I, I, I appreciate surface level. I, <laughs> I like the real. Sure. Stuff. <laughs> who doesn't? I like, I like, <laughs> who, who doesn't? I prefer to drink beer and talk, watch football, than have real conversations. <laughs> exactly. It's. I mean, it's so much more pleasant <laughs> in a way. I mean, I don't really mean that audience yeah, but uh, yeah. it's comfortable yeah it's comfortable yeah. it's it's fun it's yeah it's the family culture and all of our families are different to some degree one thing i do want to add to uh amplify what you said was um, learning that a, a sibling has gone through trauma as a child yeah i mean learning that at age you know 40 45 whatever blows a person away Take us to the moment when you realize that coaching was working to help solve your problem. It was early on. I think my frustration um, in the healthcare industry, the addiction industry, was was just not knowing. Right? I, I don't know how to make the call. I, I want someone. I need someone's guidance and professionalism to guide to uh, help us steer in the right direction. Right? Tell us, like, hey, you need to act yeah. now. Like this is a moment you need to act, and you were very straightforward on that. So, I think the early com- the early conversations that you had with us were extremely helpful because it, it was an absolute crisis mode. Uh, you know, as you 
as we described earlier. Um, and then subsequent to that, it was just a continued education, reassurance. Um, you know, we have our Patrick Doyleisms that we like to say that um, in our heads, you know, and it's, it, to me, it, it was, it was uh, worth every uh, moment we had with you. Yeah, you were, you were like a lifeline. Um, you know, for me, who was the studious researcher, you know, I, I yeah, from the first yeah. free consultation, just like, oh my gosh, finally someone who can answer some questions, some burning questions, just help navigate. I mean, certainly I think the family, the broad family saw the value when you helped convince her or help her see for herself that she needed to go to in treatment therapy. I mean, that was a huge moment for everyone. It's such a relief. Um, but yeah, it's been, you know, Joe's right. I mean, we'll, when you think back to the tornado of what life was like back then, and we would have, you know, maybe a really hard day or really, you know, where she's, I mean, she's in treatment, but she's not really doing the treatment. You know, they're telling us she's not opening up. She's, you know, wants to get out of there in two weeks. Um, you know, we would, we would have our Patrick moment in our head of, you know, every day that she's in treatment is a good day. You know, like today was a good day. As yeah. frustrated as we might be by she's not doing recovery the way we'd want her to do recovery, like she's there. She yeah. she didn't walk out today. And so, you know, you helped us to kind of keep things in perspective and celebrate those milestones and not freak out, you know, when when things didn't go the way that we wanted them to go. And you helped us yeah. a couple times. It Sorry, what, what, you helped us a couple of times. Like, I think you could feel the frustration that Lynn and I had in intense moments. And then, um, you know, she would, she mentioned she'd get frustrated. And, you know, there was an exchange you and her and I had about her frustration with me. And then you saying, well, that's, that's your issue, Lynn, not Joe's. Like, Joe's <laughs> trying to do everything. Joe's trying to do everything he's capable of. And you're going at a different path yeah. as well. So, there are some interesting yeah. elements on it too. It's just, I found that, that that stuck out to me as well. He had your back. He did have my back. Well, and brother had my back. It, it, it's worth mentioning too. Yeah. I mean, I started my own therapy. I've never seen a therapist in my life. I started my own therapy over this because I saw it just, I didn't have wow. a healthy, you know, relationship to what was happening. You know, I was frustrated with my marriage, my husband at times yeah. and, you know, our relationship, um, you know, just was strained. Um, Joe, you started therapy eventually, you know, other We're not a therapy family, Patrick. No, it's really no. not in our nature to do that. Other I know. Yeah. Other, other members, members are doing, got therapy. into it as well. With We other... got, we eventually, you know, came together with family and, and had, you know, your parents. And I mean, we just, um, we were seeking help however we could. And it really, I'm someone where it's helpful for me to talk things out. And so it was really helpful to have a therapist that I could go and just talk and get an outside objective perspective and then not, yeah. you know, feel like I have to only get that from you that, yeah. you know, also talking to other members of the family, you know, where Joe had a limited <laughs> patience sometimes yeah. for wanting to hash through everything that was happening. So it was really good to have, you know, you and other professionals to help us navigate what was happening just even with ourselves. 
at least half your family just like dove head first into therapy for the first time in their lives and <laughs> it doesn't usually go to... like that yeah like, i mean it was that, that's pretty unusual situation. it was really dark i mean it's definitely i mean i hope my life is never as dark as this i mean it's it was really, really it was hard. hard yeah it's still hard yeah it might still it might still get hard again yeah i mean addiction's a journey and i mean i pray that jennifer doesn't drink again but you know it's probably not likely it's probably going to rear its ugly head again i pray that doesn't but how do you see yourselves now as compared to mm, two months ago three months ago i do feel like we're in such a healthier place and you know jennifer's um, at a sober living facility right now. So we're, we all feel good about that. But also, like Joe said, we're kind of holding our breath and seeing what happens. But I I personally feel I am have a much healthier um, ability to cope. And I know that is so because it is not all consuming anymore. It is. It does not take up Headspace. I still do listen to, you know, an Al Anon podcast once in a while. I still, you know, read yeah. once in a while. Um, you know, I have I have my life back. Uh, we have time with our kids now uh, that we didn't have yeah. you know, if you would have been talking to us three months ago. Um, and I know I, I know the boundaries of how much that I can do and where it's helpful, and then things that it's not going to help. And it's really, it's up to Jennifer um, or it's up to other members. You know, even some of the controlling that I tried to do early on was with other family members and that wasn't healthy either. So I just knowing those boundaries, you know, not that I don't sleep up once in a while. Um, but I think we've learned, you know, there was an episode probably a month ago where, she was she was drinking and um, decided to go to a, the family home, which is about six hours away, driving at night. And Joe and I jumped in the car to try to chase her and try to, you know, yeah. calling her and trying to convincing her to come home. And, um, you know, that whole episode ended with her getting lost and finally making her way back home. One in the morning, you know, we're sitting on her lawn because we were waiting for her. And, you know, yeah. after that episode, I think we kind of looked at each other and said, like, okay, that we can't do that again. You know, like yeah. that we spent five hours that night just in a complete panic, driving, driving, you know, just waiting for her. And had we done yeah. nothing, it would have been the same outcome, probably, you know. And, right. And uh, right. we had to learn that maybe the hard way. But um, I think we have learned that lesson pretty well at this point. Yeah. I, I remember early on when we met, the same questions would come up again and again. And what that said to me, it pointed out how the recovery is a process and to wrap one's head around these concepts that is, it's new, it's different information. And it, and it goes against our understanding of addiction, be angry at the disease, try not to be angry at the person with the disease. No, I mean, that's a great point on, and we, another one of the Patrick Doyle's elements that are getting ingrained to know us, you may have had to say it many, many times over to us, but it, it definitely stuck. And, and it, you know, we still haven't seen her 
recently. Um, she's still, um, you know, in a sober living facility. So it's going to be great to uh, see her in a sober state. Yeah. And so we're looking forward to that day when, and hopefully that happens soon. But yeah, if we're still, there's probably a person that we don't even know. And because it's been so long, she's been drinking. There's, there's a person in there that we don't even know that well, that we have to, you know, a, a sober Jennifer is someone I'm looking forward to getting to know more about again, because she's a beautiful, beautiful person. I mean, I feel like I'm almost a part of your family, having <laughs> gone through this with you. I appreciate the opportunity to work with you, to help you. And thanks so much for coming and, and sharing with the audience. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. It's You've been a blessing to have in our lives. We'll add you to the, uh, the Christmas card photo. <laughs> thanks for joining us for this episode of Family Addiction Coaching. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show. We'll continue to interview interesting and strong families as long as there is a need for this information in the community. Make sure to visit our website, www.opioidcoaching.com. If you think you might want professional coaching for yourself or your family, Patrick Doyle is available. Have a peaceful day. <laughs>